Hey guys, welcome. This is Mango Masala, Pi Radio South Asian show. My name's Gerns. I'm here with Halima. Woohoo, Halima! Yep, you're going to get a lot of that today. And just wanted to say thank you so much to the Asian Media Awards because we have been nominated for the 2022 Best Radio Show. Woo! <laughs> Best Radio Show! I mean, stating the obvious a little bit, but thanks yeah. Asian Media Awards for recognising the facts. Yeah, honestly, it's an honour to be nominated yeah, alongside such great talent. I mean, some of these... Like people have like been nominated. Khan. I know these people have been doing it for like twenty odd years. So yeah. it's about we've been doing it for a tenth of the time to be Yeah, two next years to them. in. Like I yeah. I think this is an amazing place for us to be. I'm so grateful for the recognition. Um you guys who keep up with us can see the kind of content that we're plugging out day in, day out. So it does feel very, very great to be recognized. Mm-hmm. And I'll big up Halim and Simran and myself. No, yeah. big up Carlos. Yeah. Come on. Big you know what? Me. We'll save that for the acceptance speech, inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> but Wait, yeah. do, they, do they vote? Do the public vote? Nah, this is the oh, thing. Like, damn. It's probably already been decided. But you know what? We've got a black tie event to look Yeah, that's nice. To. Listen, the nomination at this point is, is I think enough yeah. for us at this point and we don't have to go anywhere it's literally here that's what yeah, i was I thinking because i was looking at the invite i was thinking oh is like in in um it's literally is it hilton in yeah because yeah. i was thinking like oh like it'll have to look at the, i thought it was going to be yeah. london because it's a nationwide yeah um media i think awards, it's always in manchester for some reason yeah but yeah not complaining but yeah, make sure you stay tuned for the rest of today's episode. We'll be vlogging. We should vlog. We'll be vlogging <laughs> our day at Mango Masala's first ever award ceremony because there will be more to yeah. come, inshallah. Yeah. So yeah, Love it. stay tuned, guys. Yeah, make sure you listen to the rest of today's episode. What can they expect, Halima? So we've got Eamon in the studio here with us. talking about um south asian degrees south asian studies academia cambridge Cambridge journalism (laughs) sports journalism and iran yeah so stay tuned guys sweet see you in a bit hey everybody we're mango masala pie radios south asian show and today we are joined by a very special guest amen so do you want to introduce yourself yeah hi everyone i'm Eamon um i'm a sports journalist i work for bbc sport so Eamon works for bbc sport she also did a master's in south asian studies at cambridge like i did and she is also a writer you've written right yeah yeah that sounds so vague like you're a writer you've written we've all written we've all written but some of us are writers capital w writers (laughs) Eamon is a capital W writer. Um, so do you want to speak a little bit about kind of like your journey like through writing, publications, doing your masters, and then how you then got into sports yeah. journalism doing that? So I started off doing um my undergraduate at Queen Mary. I did English literature and loved reading and I didn't really know like writing Mm-hmm. that I'd be good at writing then like, mm-hmm. I just enjoyed reading and I guess like the more you read it you just sort of, like pick up on like different styles mm-hmm. and then um in my undergrad like our first year we it was like all the modules were like compulsory mm-hmm. so we had to do like Shakespeare Victorian everything I wasn't interested in and in my second year we were 
uh, it was like optional. Mm-hmm. So we, I like picked like post post colonial like South mm-hmm. Asian studies, like those sort mm-hmm. of the stuff that I was like actually interested mm-hmm. in. Um, and then in my final year was like total freedom, do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and then and also with our dissertations as well, you could do um, you could literally write it on anything. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was um, d- during two thousand nineteen. It was the Cricket World Cup. And mm. England won, oh, okay. and it was the most incredible like match I've ever watched in my life. It was so sick. So you were always into sports as well, then? Yeah, I always oh. liked it, but and I always like played at school and stuff. But it was never like I never really thought about writing about sport. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, I'd mm-hmm. always like watch it as like a spectacle. I never thought it was mm-hmm. like a written thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then in my final year, um, everyone was like writing their dissertations on like uh, like books like Salman Rushdie or like proper like literature stuff and to be honest I was like I don't really want to do this mm-hmm. and I was like speaking to my supervisor and it's so funny because he literally emailed me today oh really um and I was like I don't know what I want to write on like I really and he was like just he was like tell me what you enjoy and what do you like um and I was like well, to be honest I really like cricket and then he was like well write your dissertation on cricket and I went away did some research um and then I found um it's a book by CLR James called Beyond a Boundary mm-hmm. to date it's my favorite book oh Love really yeah so yeah. good and then wrote my whole dissertation on cricket in the West Indies and then at the time like I really enjoyed it loved loved my dissertation loved <coughs> doing it mm-hmm. um but I wanted to be like a professor so that's why I ended up doing of course, uh, Carlos is looking at me like this because we've I got really the exact same like trajectory. We've got the That's exact so same funny. points of convergence, exact same points of divergence as well. Like, yeah, is that what you wanted? To but do? this is not about me, yeah. unfortunately. We'll chat after. We'll chat yeah, after. but yeah. So I wanted to be a professor, and I was like, oh yeah, like. That's what I want to do. And everyone went and did that master's at Cambridge oh. to then go on to do it. Because it, it basically sets you up for a PhD. It does, Because yeah. it was like a research-based yeah. master's. So I was like, yeah, let me let me do that. Went to Cambridge, started the master's, enjoyed parts of it. Mm-hmm. Majority of it didn't enjoy it, mm-hmm. like the experience and stuff like that. Um, and then like had a total breakdown in the winter. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I applied Three for, months like, in. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Three months into what, like a nine month yeah. course, six month course, I can't remember. Um, and then I was like, I don't even want to do it anymore. And it was annoying because I didn't get a scholarship, so I paid for it oh, like yeah. on a GoFundMe page. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And then um, applied for a PhD at Yale, but because mm-hmm. it was COVID, they were only taking one applicant. And in Mad. for a PhD, yeah, literally. Um, didn't get it and then I was just like I don't know what to do and I emailed my supervisor and mm-hmm. I was like after I graduated actually I was like let me finish this degree first mm-hmm. and then graduated and then I was like emailed him I was like I don't know what to do and he was like well you enjoy writing and you enjoy sports so like what about sports journalism and I was like I didn't even know that was a thing to be honest mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. that's how I got into moment. yeah literally that's how I got into writing mm-hmm. or writing about sports so what's can you tell us a little bit about your job right now so what do you do in your day-to-day so it varies so um I don't just work on cricket it's like across like football I'll do like um like the European Championships Winter Mm -hmm. Olympics so different loads of different sports mainly cricket though cricket's like love it Mm -hmm. um and definitely my favorite um so sometimes like if you're if you go onto like the BBC Sport website there's like the live reporting page Mm -hmm. so sometimes I'll be like doing like live reporting on like a match or stuff which is really cool 
Um, and then most of the time it will be like putting in videos into like the sport BBC Sport page mm-hmm. um, and then also like writing features. So yeah. like most recently, um, just before the Pakistan-India uh, T20 series, I interviewed Moeen Ali and Shan Masood. Oh, look. For, like a written feature and it was like the best time ever. I mm-hmm. loved it. Um, I feel like if I knew anything about cricket, I'll be even more impressed. Yeah. But I can already tell that's quite <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Yeah, loved it. Honestly, that's the part of the job I love is like speaking and interviewing people mm-hmm. and then writing about it. I love that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it varies a bit because obviously it's like it's like a journalism research role. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm doing at the minute. Okay, cool. So uh, before we get in more to your day job, about your master's, what yeah. did you? What was your thesis on? Like how did you find it how did you find Cambridge how did you find the course you said it was a shambles yeah. so you want to quit why <laughs> spill the tea for clarification the course was an MPhil in modern South Asian studies yeah they should give us a brand deal yeah I feel like Cambridge oh God, should 100%. give us a brand deal for That's, that course yeah. but anyway so what was your actual research on then so for those of you who don't know that that course is um there's some taught modules but it's largely uh, research based so you can go out and I did field work for mine and stuff like that so what you managed to do field work. Where'd you go? Mine was just before COVID, Bangladesh. Oh, really? Yeah. Mine was, uh, yeah. COVID times. COVID times, yeah. so, yeah. I went to London. <laughs> That's still impressive. It's the British archives. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy trawling through all of those papers. Yeah. I didn't do it. <coughs> well, you went to Bangladesh. Yeah, true. <laughs> also, there was nothing there for yeah. me as well. But, yeah. Um, so, what was your thesis on? So, I did mine on... Um, partition of south asia so i did Mm -hmm. it on memory history and language in literary narratives of the partition of south asia and i looked at um okay so it was literature based yeah yeah so i had um priyamrada gopal as my supervisor oh Oh my god everyone wanted her to be uh, yeah because she does literature that's yeah okay she was she was honestly like amazing love her Mm -hmm. I did, um, oh, The Ministry of Utmost Happiness yeah. by Arundhati Roy. Um, and then a few of her other, her other books. Mm-hmm. And then um, Basti by um, Intizar Hussain. Um, but what were you looking at? Like, <clears throat> what were you... So I looked at how, basically, how in, like, moments of, like, violence, mm-hmm. um, particularly, like, national violence, mm-hmm. how it triggers, like, um, oh, it it was like called as like a necessary forgetfulness because yeah. people just didn't want to remember like mm-hmm. how bad it was mm-hmm. um and then how that sort of like influences national history and like transcripts and stuff because so much of history <coughs> of particularly like partition history just wasn't spoken about after yeah. it happened because of like the trauma of it mm-hmm. and um it influenced like obviously how national history was remembered but then obviously in like literary like narratives mm-hmm. it was remembered how it kind of was but it was it, it it was like a weird sort of um connection because it was like literature and like fiction fictional so <coughs> it, but it was like the truth that is actually like stuff mm-hmm. that had happened and oh stuff. that's very interesting um, but yeah no I, I loved it did you did you enjoy <coughs> doing i loved i did i really enjoyed like doing the research and like reading and like stuff like that and because like that's stuff that i've always like enjoyed mm-hmm. like from undergrad um, what did you do in your undergrad? Was it similar? English. No, no, well, I meant like for oh, your. Oh yeah, thesis. well, I did 
Well, I did the thesis on cricket, but I had like I was doing like post colonial modules and stuff. Yeah. And like I didn't really think doing a dissertation on sports mm-hmm. at Cambridge would have been like feasible. So I was like, okay. And at the time, I wanted to be like a professor in like South Asian studies. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'll you so, so the more canonical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, so you liked your what you were studying. Yeah. You liked yeah. your subject. You liked your dis- your, re- your research. Yeah. But you didn't like the course. No, well, the course I felt well for us. Like mm. every time it'd be like new tutors, like you never really mm. also like new lecturers and stuff. So you'd never really get to like connect with them, mm. and it was like one person in and out, and that's it. Yeah. And like even like emailing them, like they all like it will take like three weeks for follow up. You just don't build that same connection. Whereas like with my undergraduate supervisor, we had such a good connection, and he even emails me like was emailing me about day, yeah. England Pakistan cricket match. Um, literally and I just didn't really have that and on top of it obviously because it was like COVID everything was online like honestly you'd just sit in your room did you ever get to go into the centre or anything like Like twice oh yeah so you had no face to face (coughs) none and like the first connection the Mm -mm. first connection the first like meeting we had was in like this the huge tent in like one of the gardens and (laughs) I'm kidding you not everyone was sat like like a meter away from each other oh on like that's plastic chairs Mm-mm. i don't think yeah. i would have been able to, to to do it covid times like yeah. I, it's I know. just it was hell because that's kind of like a want and you pay so much if you say you've, you've self-funded as well like you pay so much you want to yeah. get your money's worth like you don't kind of want to be because really you could have done that yourself exactly like and in london home, you know what i mean yeah. it's not it's not the best damn yeah sorry to hear that. yeah <laughs> but regardless yeah you didn't end up being a professor why not the academic world I think when I got into it like the the reason with why I loved Queen Mary and I felt so comfortable there was because it was predominantly Asian Mm. and I never felt like out of place and I never felt like my belonging was like questioned at all it was like a walk in the park, loved it, had made some amazing friends like people that I still talk to like today Mm. and so never felt out of place now take me into Cambridge where it's like how did you feel like you fit fit in I didn't really yeah 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 it was it was honestly you walk everywhere and it was just like white people and it was like it didn't really hit me until there was like an incident there was Mm. like a party that was um so okay so also I was put in a house with five white boys and I was the only girl oh my god I know. What what and what metric did they use for that? Yeah, I know. What kind of algorithm <laughs> was they were they using for that one? Yeah. Mm-mm. You pay yeah. me. I will pay you rent. You pay me. What? I'm trying to say too much because we're on radio. What? I know exactly. And uh, like two of them were racist. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So like um, outwardly towards yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, see me, they would have kicked me out. Yeah. <laughs> no, see me, they would I would have gotten expelled. See me, I would even have gotten banned. <laughs> what? I know. So that's why I was just like, it's not the place for me. Honest to God. See yeah. me, no degree yeah. is worth that. Are you joking <laughs> me? What did, what happened? So I was it was funny enough, it's connected to cricket as well. <laughs> Basically. I was spitting in everyone's tea. Are you joking me? <laughs> The most I did, I was I hid his like cheese grater. I just hid it. I throw it out. No, I haven't seen it. Why? Why are you? Why are you asking me? You joker! What? There was a party in my kitchen once, and everyone from like everywhere was invited, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first two weeks of the course, and 
uh, I think England, I can't remember who they were playing, but it was a test series on or something. Mm-hmm. And I had my England shirt on and I, because sh- I, I would wear it all the time. I was at the party and uh, get this. The BAME it's gonna, it's gonna, officer. It's going to annoy me, man. The BAME officer of my college. Mm. Yeah. Was like to me, he was like, why are you wearing an England shirt? You're such a F coconut. We've spoken about this. Our girl Simran has yeah. spoken about this label of coconut before. Yeah. We'll go look through our grids and look for it. Yeah. Shout out Simran. <laughs> and I was just like, excuse me, what? And he was like. Okay, yeah. sorry. Do you work yeah. at the Pakistani <laughs> embassy? Are you the one giving me my citizenship? <laughs> sorry, Imran Khan. I was like, what did you just say? And he was like, oh, you heard me. And then I was like, say it again. And then I was like, because I, I was in shock. Mm, the audacity. Mind, I've never really had like, at Queen Mary, no way did I have stuff like this. Yeah, I was, there was like sexism and stuff like that, right? Didn't have anyone be racist to my face. Mm. And then he was like, why is a P word wearing an England shirt? Uh, who and said then, that? Yeah, the BAME officer. I know, mad. What, where was he from? Egyptian. The way my shoe would come off my foot. The way my shoe would come off my foot. Honestly, and it was, and then he comes up in my face, right? And then he was like, "Well, you are a coconut," and then left, right? And then the worst part of it, everyone in the room was like dead silent, like dead. No one stepped in. No one said a word. No one said anything, and it was just dead silent. And obviously, like. It was so humiliating because I was like, mm. oh, what do you do in that situation? I've never been in that situation before. So I com- ended up complaining. I went to my, I went to the, I won't mention his name, the dean of the college yeah. at the time. Oh no, actually it's a lie. I didn't go to him first. I went to my, the porters. Mm. I was so Oh, why would you go to the porters, no, 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 bro? I'll tell was, you one thing. Must, yeah, racism really? must be a criteria in their job description. Really? It must be, must be. Nah, mm-hmm. for me it was different. Really, that's nice. Uh, best mates with two of my porters. Best that's mates. very so nice. No, do you know what? It's the porters of the the, the rich, yeah, like yeah. terrible. Those two. The, the, so I was really close with two of them. Yeah. And I went to him first, and I was like, I don't, because I didn't know what to do in that situation. I was like, I don't know how the hierarchy here works. And he he went and reported it for me because okay, I was really nice. scared. Anyway, so the dean calls me, and he was like. Just so you know, this is the first ever incident of it's racism not. in the college. It's not what the the, the, like, coll- the unit that's built yeah. off of the black of uh, the back of slavery. It's yeah, not exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I was like, okay. And then was smirking at me when I told him the story. And then he was like, oh well, someone else will give you a call or something like that. Anyways, the vice chancellor or something calls me and she was like oh you see we don't really think this is a racist incident it's just uh, really interesting so we're not going to do anything about it and i was like so this guy is going to keep his position as BAME officer and they were like yeah he's yeah. just called me a slur is that yeah. not racism like sh- like am i the mad one I know. that's what i would ask i was like so i'm mad then yeah literally. i'm mad to think that that word is a is a racist slur then okay then yeah. okay that's literally. fine thank you for letting yeah. me know that i'm crazy Do you know what, what i mean it was mad it's so mad so mad oh, and then <laughs> and then so nothing happened to him he kept his porters would look at me the wrong way yeah. and i'll be like i'll be like what what you think i shouldn't be here what are you serious imagine someone started talking like that to me either i'm leaving the uni or, or you are <laughs> not, we're that. both not gonna be him are you serious that's that's nuts but yeah so he kept his position stayed in college and Ended up getting banned from, and obviously at United Cambridge, like it's so hard to move. Once you're in college, it's so difficult to move to another college. Mm. He ended up getting done for like, was like 
uh, like abuse or something. Ended oh. up having to move colleges. And he moved in with the girl that said to me I was over-exaggerating. And then he goes and starts screaming at her in their own like, house. And oh. I was like, right. Oh, Funny so he was just out. a wrong gun yeah, then. Exactly. He was just a wrong gun. And he will... Bad things will keep happening yeah. to him if that's just who he is as a person. Literally. That's mad. I know. So that whole experience. And then it, it sort of like followed through. Like, obviously, like my housemates were also really racist. Like, they would like, they literally straight up said I was a savage. Straight up. I know, to my face. Wouldn't hide it. Like, nothing like that. Anyways. You see them canals where yeah. people would be doing the, what do you call it, the punting? You see them canals? Because hmm. Darwin was, was on them canals, isn't it? Or nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I know. No, I couldn't handle that. I could not handle, yeah, like... Exactly. When, to be honest, like, when people ask me, like, what what was my experience, I'm very aware of the fact that, like... We've spoken about this before, actually. But, like, I'm very aware of the fact that Cambridge is, like... That's a white supremacy, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the entire history of that uni, like... Yeah. Everything. Um, but luckily for me, like, I don't know what the like the breakdown of like ethnicity was on your mm. course but for me like most it was like everyone was south asian apart from one white australian two white brits and one chinese girl everyone else so four people and then there were 16 of us i think on the course so 12 of us were south asian and probably like half of that or more than half of that that number was actually from the subcontinent like international students which is which is a mad yeah. It's a Mazda yeah, anyway, yeah. because why am I South Asian, living in South Asia, but I have to come to England to learn yeah. about South Asian? Yeah. <laughs> That's, that even in itself is mad, but... Yeah. My point is, is that I... Because I had, like, a course of predominantly South Asian people, and I didn't mix with anyone else. Like, I was telling you before that I'm not... I yeah. was just not a serious member. Didn't go to no socials, didn't go to nothing. Like, no extracurriculars, nothing. No parties, nothing. <laughs> so I felt... I felt... I was all yeah. right, actually, like... See, I was the opposite. I would party at night and then really? in the morning, I wouldn't sleep and then in the morning I'd go to the library to do my work. Oh, no, I wouldn't so do the work part. I wouldn't do the party part either. I did nothing. I went to one Cambridge social my friend forced me. Guess what it was? What? A cheese and wine night. Oh, it's the most quintessential Cambridge yeah. thing ever. And that was the only one that I went to and I thought, I literally stood there and I thought, this is oh why I don't God. come out. You're all neeks. This is why I'm not mates with any of you lot. But I will, I will admit, like on my first day, my induction, yeah, I also thought the same thing. I was like, Neeks. Like, <laughs> but I met, I, I'm like, yeah. I'm friends with them to yeah, this day. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I loved them. Yeah. Like, it's so funny because I'm literally the same outside of the course. Like, my course mates, I met like one of my best best yeah. friends. Well, two of my best friends from the course. Yeah. And then um, one of my other best mates, she was on a different course. Um, but I also made like lifelong friends there. Yeah. So it's such a weird place. Like, honestly it just doesn't feel real do you mm-hmm, know what I mean mm-hmm. it's such a strange that's why honestly I feel like I was lucky because I was on a course with people yeah. who were South Asian like, I didn't have to <clears throat> go out and join like a society yeah. to, to find them or I didn't have to search I was kind of like handed to me on yeah. a part of just because of the, the degree that I was doing so I was lucky in that way because yeah. I feel like if I really had to go if I didn't have that I I wouldn't have made friends with anyone yeah. i think because i just wouldn't have had the patience to trawl through like a million racists for one good yeah. person yeah you know um <clears throat> but i feel like on a course like that as well like course like south asian studies and then like societies like bme groups and mm. stuff because they're so founded on identity politics sometimes they're very kind of like 
muscular in their machinations you know like people kind of expect you to because we spoke before about this idea of being a coconut and and what it is to be south asian and your like cultural expression and your cultural performance we've spoken about all that before and i think sometimes when you go go like when you're in a place and you're part of these groups people expect you to have a certain cultural performance like i know there was people in my course who were south asian who weren't didn't grow up in a Mm. particular south asian way maybe but they're just as south asian as everyone else maybe their cultural performance is slightly different and they were being questioned you know like comments kind of would be made towards them and stuff like that and i feel like it's a very like hearing the bme story like people Mm. would look at you look okay because you're your identity is heightened because you are such a minority in a place like cambridge that they're literally like they're expecting you to be in like did he want you to be there in shawakamis that you should have said to him like i'm so sorry next time i'll come in my linga i am so sorry i didn't know that like that's what they expect you to be walking around with like roti like (laughs) handing out like uh, like do you know what i mean sorry i didn't know i wasn't allowed to wear an england shirt even though that's where i live i'm sorry exactly do you know what i found an interesting dynamic of like the whole cambridge experience was also class because yeah Mm -hmm. on our south asian studies course well on my south asian studies course not to name names Mm. but it was predominantly upper caste indians yeah yeah and you know then you'd have like people like myself who were working class Mm. um but then if you if you try and align yourself yeah on a race aspect yeah fine yeah you're so right but then like don't use that positionality to sort of like get rid of like all the sort of casteism and like not take that into account because that was a huge problem mm. and because oh, really on, in your year huge right, honestly really really bad and um i had like girl a girl come crying to me because of the way she had like experienced like casteism on the court that's mad and I, you know what again i think we got look you know Pritham. oh because yeah. he is like <laughs> the most ardent like cast historian so he's best mates with this the person i'm talking about well not best mates they They're know good each other friends. Yeah, i'm not yeah. surprised so yeah. pritham was like bless him heart of gold he yeah. kept everyone in check like there will be certain words and phrases that we would be using in like urdu that and he'll be like Mm-mm-mm. yeah actually love that. that the history of that like he kept everyone in check love like that. so i think in that way like we again probably i just got lucky with my course because there was no yeah. cast kind of casteism you're so honestly it for us it was because i can imagine and also coming from like essex having an essex accent people would just look at me oh my god yes you know i'm sorry but that's how passionately i feel about it you know how i was saying i went to one event one one social event obviously me i've got like a distinct mummy accent and i'm loud as well like i'm not i'm I'm loud i'm like boisterous like me i think i'm the center of attention everywhere i'm not gonna lie no I'm oh, Virgo oh Amelia yeah, yeah. <laughs> so me I think I'm the I'm not gonna lie like I would even I would go into to lectures and I'll and I'll be like this is live at the Apollo for me <laughs> like you know the first day I ever walked in induction I was late yeah and then we were sat down and everyone was going around like hi I'm I'm yeah, yeah. and I went hi I'm late <laughs> like introducing myself <laughs> and then like you know the fir- for end of first term when you do you I don't know if you guys did this you present your research yeah 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 
And we did that. I literally stood up and I went, hi, everybody. Are you all right? No, you are on <laughs> left. In front of like CJ. In front of CJ. Like, and they were confused. They didn't get the joke. They were like, huh? I was like, don't worry, it's a joke. But point is like, I would think I'm like, this is literally one night with Halima Nishir. Like, that's what I would think uni was for me. So I went to this event and obviously I'm just being me. And this guy, he's like himself up man he's like ha 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 you're yeah. so not the typical cambridge student and i'm thinking for why for why i'm not and i know what you mean it's because yeah. i'm a loud brown northern yeah, like yeah, yeah. i know exactly what you mean but yeah. i'm still gonna ask you what do yeah. you mean like yeah but i mean that wasn't that wasn't that was that was kind of like benign you know it was it was i know what your comment is steeped in like classism but it's still benign mm. you know but i un- i can understand that a lot of other people would have had more violent more explicit kind of yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and it's so funny because obviously like it is completely not stereotyping because like some of my close friends i made were from like upper class backgrounds and stuff yeah so it just what it and it's so funny because it just shows you that it really does come down to the way people view other people and yeah stuff 100. Like that. It's, like, 100 it's not necessarily like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. like stereotyping all these groups together it is just like the way people treat you and it was it honestly like the amount of stories i've got about cambridge on class this is is why i'm glad i didn't leave my room man yeah 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 honestly it's i'll be in jail right now to this day i'll be in jail right now if i had to experience so mad it's honestly like oh god and it's like it it, because you know you experience racism from people who are different color to you Mm. and but then you experience like classism from people who are a different class to you yeah and it's just and it literally made, and if you're like you know brown working class mm. and and it literally made me feel like where do i stand here what what's my position here what role mm. have i got and honestly and that's also a very very fine portrayal of academia academia was yeah, exactly 100. like that and that's 100. why i changed because when i got got there i was like there was only one um one pro- like pakistani um mm-hmm. academic aisha jalal who's um i think she's like don't quote me on this but i think she is like she well she's related to um jinnah yeah who, like muhammad jinnah and obviously comes from like a uh, upper class background Very and wealthy stuff. so you know you in academia you don't find a pakistani working class person and i I was just like, if I can't see anyone, how am I going to make it? Do you know what I mean? And also, sorry, I'm not going to try and like struggle my whole life just so I can like, do you know what I mean? Soft life for me. Because I'm not trying mm-hmm. to, not every day fighting racist. Like, I couldn't do it. I could not do I'm it. I'm even sat, I'm sat here yeah. laughing and smirking because I'm, I'm, so I'm Bangladeshi. Yeah, yeah, yeah we weren't even on the course bro yeah, like yeah. we weren't exactly. uh, oh, do you know on my course appraisal yeah. i had to be like why are you not calling this south asian study you should call exactly. it india and pakistan, pakistan studies yeah, like exactly. it's 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 mad it's mad you yeah. paid lip service to nepal once yeah you exactly. gave bangladesh one once. one week one yeah that's one it day even one, one day, day not even that yeah. like and and what languages do they teach Hindi and Urdu. That's Where's it. They're the up? same, bro. Yeah. They're the same. <laughs> Me, I can speak them both because I can speak one of them. They're the same. Bangla is nowhere yeah, to be Bangla? found. Exactly. And also, like, it's really interesting that like, you speak about, um, like, y- like class structures as well. All the Bengali academics are West Bengali, like Indian Bengali, yeah. Bangladeshi, like 
Bangladeshi mm-hmm. Muslim academics, no, none. none. Yeah. Nowhere to be found. They're not even there in academia. They're the ones cleaning the, the toilets, yeah. bro. Like the class is mad. mad. Like the man who will drive you to the, the uni, he's Bangladeshi and the people who will teach you will be upper caste West Bengali yeah. people if if the Bengalis are even there yeah. at all. Like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I had to write in my appraisal form. I was like, it's a, it's madness. Yeah. It's actually madness. It's like, so funny. It was this exact same my year. We, ha- we did the same complaints. Exactly really? It's, it's yeah. so like, and like, you know, you talk so, like obviously you did partition, right? Mm. My guy, how many times have we spoken about partition and no one speaks about the Eastern frontier? No one speaks about the Eastern frontier. How many times have we spoken about like the Hindustan and no one speaks about the Eastern frontier? Like no one speaks. It's it's mental. It's like, it's it's almost like, so am I crazy then? Like, am I actually, it's, I don't know. It's complete erasure of like, it is it is and it's like when we even talk about the british raj or we talk about british india there's three countries that we're talking about bro like it's it's literally pakistan india bangladesh one week out of nine months they gave us one week exactly i was i was vexed and it was like two weeks on pakistan and the rest i was like you lot are lucky i don't even care about this course (laughs) you lot are lucky i don't even come class because if i gave a (laughs) mm -mm. if i gave a (laughs) then it's game over sorry carlos beat that out (laughs) if i gave one mm -mm. yeah mad and that's why i was like and it was a complete like reflection of academia higher up yeah 100 percent. that's exactly what it's like and i said to my mate like one of my best friends she's who's now doing her phd at stanford i was just like i can't do it i literally broke down i was like if i'm struggling this much on like a mphil course Imagine me doing a PhD. Imagine me trying to get a professorship anywhere. Yeah. I was like, this is not They're not trying to hear it. Yeah, exactly. Like for me as well, I didn't get any. So I've met my supervisor, I think three times in the whole year. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's because I didn't do any work. (laughs) I didn't do any work. Like I wasn't, I didn't have no work to show her. I met her in October at the start of the course. She says, come back in three weeks with a 15 page lit review. I thought, myth. I thought not happening. And I never saw her again until I actually, like, my my deadline's there. But also, I think a big part of that was, like, it's this two-way relationship. Yeah. Same way I need to go and, like, let her know, like, this is where I might yeah. see, blah, blah, blah. She also needs to be checking in on me. And she didn't, because I really believe she didn't have the foggiest. So, basically, mm-hmm. my thesis was on... Um, Indigenous Identity Formation in Post-Liberation Bangladesh. Oh, sick. Yeah. Wow. So, but no one knew nothing yeah. no one knew nothing that you know the problem. you know how before i was saying oh british archives i didn't even I go know. there because there's nothing there for me i had to go all, yeah. all the way to bangladesh i had to troll out 3.2 million people i had to be like oh which one of you lot fought in the yeah. war <laughs> like let me chat to you real quick because there's nothing on there yeah. nothing yeah. at Computer all no one knows history. no one knows nothing no one is yeah it was just very problematic yeah. you know that and that course is the best south asian studies course exactly. in the world yeah so it's like you lot the amount of funding that you guys have i, I can't even think about it you lot are, you're bringing in world-class like experts in their fields like world-class thinkers yeah but it's it's like is india the am i dumb or is india the only country in south asia mean? is india exactly. and Pakistan the only country like i'm a bit confused yeah. right now so i didn't like that and also like the kind of gap between like academy and grassroots as well i was kind yeah. of like because i so i also was gonna do my phd yeah and i didn't because well firstly there's f all money in it. yeah exactly um but also i was like okay cool i'll do the research but then what you know and it's like i feel like academics generally have a, a very 
inflated sense of entitlement and like self-importance you know and they think that like i've gone and i've written a book and that's me now that's yeah. like, that's actually that's me done now yeah. i've done it me call me mother Teresa, like because i've written one book on one marginalized community yeah. that's it you know and it's there's such a dissonance between like the academy and what's actually on the ground the people that you lot are writing about yeah. and you lot even engaging with them like on on a on a human level like yeah i don't know it's the whole kind of i know exactly what you mean that's that's what sort of put me off like it was just they were it was very disengaged with the realities of like actual people and and sort of almost wrote from like above down yeah and it's not it that's not what sort of writing about people that's not what it was about if you're doing genuine archival work who you're doing it for for what purpose Yeah, like exactly. what are your intentions in doing that? You know, you're doing it so that you can put your name on a paper and say that yeah. this is what I've done. Like it's this whole thing of like subject constitution. Yeah, like making a subject out of yeah. a, a living, breathing human and living breathing histories. Mm. Um, like even when I went to Bangladesh to do my fieldwork, I was very very I was so hyper cognizant of that. You know, like me and this is this is like a century, two centuries old history. I'm passing yeah. through. I'm a visitor even. You know and. And I wasn't, because obviously mine was all like the indigenous people in Bangladesh. Like, I'm not, I'm ethnically Bengali. I'm not part of that community. And it's kind of like, how, it's it's just a lot to consider. I know There's what you mean. a lot to consider. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. Maybe open your mind a little bit. Maybe expand the course a little bit. Because I wrote it in my appraisal form. So one year later, why should you say the same thing? <laughs> that means you didn't listen. That means you didn't listen. Mm-mm. Yeah, it annoyed me. Lack of like and the lack of resources as well, yeah. like for Bangladeshi history. Yeah, exactly. I didn't, I didn't like it. There was one book. You know, for my lit review, I used one book. Oh, really? Yeah, in in a, in a twenty thousand word thesis, my literature review, one book. What book? Um, <laughs> the, the politics of nationalism. When I say one book, it was someone else's thesis that they did at Cambridge, that PhD thesis that they did at Cambridge in nineteen ninety seven since 1997 there was no other literature no other like research in in my work yeah it's mad isn't it it's crazy it's crazy people think of academia as like such a all-encompassing and it's so like inclusive it's so it's just yeah it's not even like you like we suffered in the british education system we couldn't get no representation we couldn't get taught anything of our own history we get crumbs when we get to uni yeah so then you go and do pay fourteen thousand yeah. pounds to do a degree because it's you know championed itself as South Asian history and even then you can't get the representation that you need. So I was like, you know what? Let me go make my money in the yeah. corporate world. Let me not suffer. <laughs> you know how you said tough life. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. God, I feel like we spoke what about did you, that what, for okay, ages. Let's end on a positive note on the Cambridge topic. What's one thing you liked about Cambridge? You know I, what? I my friends love them to bits. Love yeah, them. definitely my friends. And I did love what I was researching. Like yeah. even though I didn't I didn't I didn't work that hard. <laughs> I did love what I researched and you know, and I felt like it was very like important yeah. work, you know. So yeah. I loved that chance that I had to to kind of to do that. Fine, there, yeah. there, there. That's what I enjoyed. That's what I enjoyed. The pretty buildings. Mine wasn't yeah, and the pretty buildings. And Jack's gelato. Is it Jack's gelato? Yeah, that was good. That was and nice. the markets, the food markets. Yeah, they were nice. They were really nice. Very good. <laughs> anyway, guys, time for a break. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome back to Manga Masala. We are Pi Radio South Asian Show. 
And we're going to continue our chat with the lovely Eamon here. so before the break we were speaking a little bit well quite a lot actually um about her experience at cambridge a south asian woman doing a south asian degree um and if you were listening before you'll know that amen is now actually in sports journalism so how did you obviously you spoke a lot about kind of what pulled you out of academia and you mentioned before you've always had a passion for sports and writing um how did you practically make that move because i know that for a lot of people um going from kind of one area to another is like of career is sometimes a little bit daunting they don't know how to do it um for me personally as well like when i because we had a similar trajectory as i was saying um i'm in tech now but just because there's nothing there's no there's no (laughs) personal stake no personal stake in that but for me it was very very much like you're lucky because you had something else to fall back on like Mm. another passion whereas for me as soon as i realized that academia i couldn't do it like well for right now anyway um i was like because that's what i'd only ever wanted to do Mm. in my life i was then in a position where I was like okay what do I do then you know all my life I I only only ever thought I was going to do academia what do I do now um so I I literally I I just applied to anything I applied to anything yeah and that's how I ended up where I am now and it's not I can't say I'm passionate it's just something to pay the bills right Mm. now but you did end up doing something that you're passionate about so how did you practically make that like change um so I sort of well I didn't know anyone in journalism. Didn't yeah. and I when I graduated, there was one. Um, she's actually my mentor um, from BBC Sport, mm. uh, Miriam Walker Khan, and she'd put a tweet out whilst I was at Cambridge, being like, and this was after I decided I was like, right, I want to do sports journalism. Um, she was like, are there any young South Asian girls looking to go into sports journalism? Like, DM me. So I DM'd her, and she set up this chat. Wait, so you say this was before or after you decided you wanted to. After I decided, oh what a yeah, what I know what a coincidence, I know. Um, That's God, yeah, literally. And then uh, she had put in the chat that there was um, this magazine that I write for called Season Zine, mm-hmm. um, and they were looking to commission a piece um, about focusing on uh, black photographers um, who were shooting in like in and around football spaces. Mm-hmm. So I that was my first ever commission. Um, and I'd started it, but it was a few months until it'd, like, come out and stuff. I ended up graduating and literally got rejected, was applying for jobs, got rejected from, like, 90 jobs. I'm not even joking. Like It was like so, that. It so was like many that. jobs. And I was honestly... So was it all journalism jobs you were applying no, for? No, everything. All sorts. Oh, like, okay. I, I didn't even get a job at, like, Starbucks, like, down the road from my house. And it was like four quid an hour, which is not like minimum wage. And I didn't even get that. And I was like, honestly, was at such a low point. I was yeah, like, oh my sorry. God, like what is, like what am I going to do? It was, it was also so such a typical graduate experience. Like yeah. I, I feel like most of my friends who we all graduated at the same time, like the, everyone was, everyone went through that. Mm. Like so many people went through it, I think. Yeah, hundred percent. And it was just it was so difficult because it just feels quite isolating when it's just happening to you, yeah. and then you're seeing like everyone else like doing like amazing things and like stuff like that. And it's so difficult to sort of like detach yourself from that sort of comparison. And then I think I so the first thing I got after I graduated was an internship at an organisation called Women in Journalism, and absolutely loved them. Like mm. it was so good. 
Um, I met so many incredible journalists from there. And then um, after that, I applied for, I got onto a mentoring program and I was being mentored by um, an ITV producer um, and she was really, really helpful. And then um, this opportunity came up with um, another organisation called BCOMS and they're the, it stands for Black Collective of Media and Sport and they were doing a f- like scholarship for um, young uh, journal- or aspiring journalists who wanted to study for their NCTJ and I was like, oh, well, this is perfect and it was in collaboration with Chelsea, that Chelsea Foundation. Oh, okay. um, so I had applied for it and honestly, like, at that by that point, I was like, I take anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just like, it was a crumb. Literally, honestly, I was like, um, but in my head, I was like, I'm gonna get rejected from it. Or like, I did not expect anything. Yeah. Like, and um, oh, it was. I was also at the time. I got a job in like a cafe that was like so far away from my house. I had to travel every day just oh so I could like, make some money. And like, I didn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to feel like you're just sitting at home doing yeah. nothing. It's, it's then, so much pressure, I think, that post, yeah. that immediate postgraduate well, period. Never again, don't ever want to do it again. Did not like it. Yeah, I can't relate. I was unemployed for like 10 months and I didn't feel a single. <laughs> See, I told you, I'm unserious. I'm unserious. You know how you say you did 90, did like seven applications? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I was I was like, me, I'm relaxing. It's soft life. Leave me alone. So yeah, I'm sat here, my mom, some I'm like, I wish I could relate. <laughs> oh I hated it I hated every second of it and then I also had this job that I had to get up at like 4.45 for to go to work and you're like, really got stronger yeah. soul did you know? <laughs> goodness <laughs> I hated it I absolutely hated it and like, by the time it, I'd finish it'd take me ages to get home and then I'd like start doing job applications I'd like want to go to bed because I'd be up, have to be mm. up again like at four anyways um I'm in a meeting with my mentor and this notification pops up from um, uh, from the BCOMS um, scholarship thing, and I'd got an interview, Lit. and I broke down in tears. I was like, "Oh my god, it's like it was the just a like break thing. that you needed, it? yeah, exactly." And honestly, it was just about like having that resilience. I don't know where I found it from, to be honest, but you've just got to keep going. And then had the interview. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you're there talking about resilience. I'm nodding my, my head like I pretend that I could relate. There was one guy, he tweeted yeah. like, you know, I applied to 200 jobs. And finally, I got the right one. Yeah. And I and I like quote tweeted and I was like, my guy, I'm happy for you. But me, I can do three rejections max. And I'm done. I'm retired. Arrange marriage. Send me back home if you need to. But I'm not applying for another job after the third one. But resilience—that's <laughs> the key. Resilience. I need to stop because one day God will show me. God will force me to see what resilience is. Because me, I'm just. Anyways. Oh my god! No, honestly, it was hell. I I would not wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. Um, hated it. Anyways, ended up getting the scholarship. Um, with becomes. Oh my god! Then started doing my NCTJ. But what's that? Was so it's the Nash. It's so it's like um a course. Mm-hmm. That you've got to have if you're a journalist. Oh, um, okay. so it's like an accreditation, and um, you sort of learn like media law. You learn like shorthand and oh. all this stuff. So did, was that was it long? Was it? Yeah, it was a fast track course. Oh. So basically, the course in itself was like not the most welcoming environment. Let's just say okay. for now. Anyway, so yeah, did the course, met some incredible people, loved it, and then um, ended up uh, applying for a job at BBC Sport. And got that, and then now here I am. Oh but actually, to be fair, the first 
piece that I got like published online, not in a magazine, mm. was um, so I I had uh, one of my bosses put in a word for me for the owner, and it's an online Instagram publication called Verses. And they do like oh yeah yeah oh yeah versus, oh my god yeah. love them absolutely yeah, love them love them and um they commissioned me to write a piece on Zidane Iqbal's debut for Manchester United the first like South Asian person oh, to make a debut lit. didn't even know but the piece blew up like really? and I wow. was like oh my Congrats. god like, didn't did not even and it was like my first like first piece of like journalism ended up getting nominated for an award lit yeah well that's like the sign you need isn't yeah. it because i can imagine it must have been so nerve-wracking making that change question if it's the right yeah. thing and god's like it's a, no it's the right thing yeah 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 that's sick and then um but yeah so i had that that was like my sort of like breakthrough and then after that then people were like or then i'd like pitch to places and like mm. it get accepted and stuff like that and that's what really got the ball rolling so was that the first time you started like writing Proper, like, yeah outside of like union yeah and stuff like that. oh okay cool and yeah. it was concertedly with the goal in mind that i want to be a journalist yeah 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 i want to do sports journalism but now i'm just a bit like i mean i love love like my job and i love what i do and the fact that i get to speak to people and then sort of like put out their stories in like yeah in like that's what i really really love about my job and it was when i was interviewing the photographers for the season zine piece um that's when it hit me i was like oh my god this is what I want to do I've never mm. felt so at home with like mm-hmm. a job kind of thing like and all I your, was your like, purpose your yeah. talent your passions are all aligning yeah it literally came together in that moment and I was like that's what I want to do I want to like tell people stories and like that that's is so what, cool. what I I just loved it and then um yeah carried on from there and then um it was really cute it was like a really full circle moment because like I emailed my professor when after I'd graduated was my dissertation supervisor um when I did it on cricket and he was like to me he was like oh I'm fully expect to read you in that wisdom one day which is like a really big like cricket publication and um when I got published in wisdom I sent it to him and he sent me the nicest like email back Aww. and literally makes me like cry it was so cute it was like, so proper, nice. like, full circle like I just loved it and like even till today like he read my um, Moe Nani piece and was like emailing me about it and stuff but That's he's sick. I know yeah, but it's such a lesson though like you know to find that sweet spot in between your passion and, and kind of making an impact and also yeah. making a living because we can't not think about that i was i was uh, laughing at your resilience before but it's it's true like that's what you need you can't give up like you really can't give up on your dreams like if you want you feel want to do something you got you actually gotta go on and get that like and i'm happy i'm really happy that that's worked out for you very very happy i'm glad (laughs) so um like speaking a little bit about obviously being in the sports journalism industry um and kind of coming into it as like completely blind almost yeah. right having had no experience not even knowing that it was even yeah. possible for you to do how has your experience been obviously you've you've you know mashallah you've been very successful um um and you, you know you started to kind of make your mark a little bit but how have you found it being a south asian woman mm. um but also just being a woman in the sport in kind of yeah. field anyway yeah. um because this is so not like when you think about south asian women and the typical careers that they end up doing statistically exactly. even like it's just it's not very common is it yeah so i can't imagine that you went into it and there's bare like south yeah. asian girls there for you to yeah exactly i think obviously there, there's like there has been like sexism and stuff like that but mm. i think like 
I feel very lucky and privileged in that I became part of like organizations like women in journalism like becomes uh, that prioritize okay. yeah like stuff like mm-hmm. that so you're and very specific with the, you weren't yeah. just go you weren't just going in anywhere anyhow yeah, yeah, like because yeah. and the thing is it's like it you're that doesn't protect your spaces, you from yeah. like necessarily having been like a target for um like the sort of like offensive attacks and stuff but mm. i think it's definitely <coughs> sort of minimized it in the sense that i know that there are people in the industry who do look like me who are like you know there for a similar purpose to try and work trying to work to sort of diversify like sports media and stuff so that's something that does make it easy and now like those some of those people are like my best friends now as well so it does help but I think um when it's also like you're in like a little bubble as well because when I step out of that Mm. it is completely different it's like majority white male and that that is exactly what it is so like I think I feel like I'm in a bit of a protective bubble which I like because I try and relive Cambridge yeah um there's that but then it is also like to be selective of your spaces essentially and where you put yourself where you sort of like you know where your work goes and like things like that because like obviously at the start of your career like you know it's very easy to just sort of like get published everywhere and anywhere and I think it's also really important like it's important you do get published and like you know each publication is like a tally to your name but I think make sure it's in good faith yeah I think and it's hard to sort of I guess it was a bit hard to have that but um yeah I think I'm I'm very 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 lucky and like privileged in like the spaces that I'm in um, because it's I feel like that's protected me a lot. Mm. Um, thank God mm. for that. Do you think yeah. you have faced any like? Because obviously, you, you know, you spoke. Well, you've written about race, mm. particularly in in sports and stuff like that. So, do you think you have faced any back? Because see me, yeah. Like, <laughs> sorry to make this about myself again, <laughs> but like, Martin is yeah. obviously like our good friend Martin Awoma, Mister Sludge Mag. So he's like one of my closest friends. Yeah um so before like sludge mag even even from before sludge mag blew up and especially now that sludge mag has blown up the kind of comments that he has to because because he's very sludge mag is a very left-wing um platform um and he's very very clear on like kind of where he stands and and the kind of narrative that that sludge mag puts out there and some of the comments that he gets like he'll be showing me like and i'm like it's, it's better you than yeah. me you know i stay logged out of the even the mango masala account i stay logged out because if anyone says something my reaction would just to be like what's your address yeah and you can't do that and i feel like if i was in your position and i'm there on writing big big publications about race because listen yeah. this country is and i can't imagine that you could write a piece about race in yeah. sports in a big publication and not yeah. get that kind of backlash oh, me God, yeah. every single person i'll be like what's your address then if you think you're bad give me your address yeah. like i couldn't handle it how do you handle that i guess well firstly do you get much of it like to, what, directly well, yeah so when i wrote my uh wisdom piece which which was about um about my experiences at cambridge but in in reaction to the Azim Rafiq Yorkshire scandal, uh, because the sort of patterns of institutional racism were like mm-hmm. the same, um, the responses I got on that was just like, a people just sort of like denying that your experiences happened and stuff. 
but then also you just have like outright, outright like racists like DMing you, calling you the p word and stuff like that, or saying like like you're a dirty p and stuff like that. And it's just, it's mad. But the thing is, right? Like, I think I, before I think I'm like the most sensitive person on Aww, the planet. Do you know what I mean? That's I can't sad, handle stuff man. like that. I hate it. I just yeah. I don't understand why people are like that. I just and you shouldn't have to handle yeah, exactly. it. It's nonsense. Exactly. And I can't. I You're can't just trying do to it. make a living. Yeah. You're just trying to write your articles. You know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I can't. I hate like anyone. Ask any of my mates. I cry like drop of really? a hat. I can't. I've do, I've not got a strong mm. bone. But I don't you. think I don't think. But even okay, even if but you, you are sensitive, to. yeah, I don't to. think it means that you're not yeah. strong to bl- cry when you're getting actual yeah, racist yeah, yeah. abuse and death threats. Like, yeah, it's mad. Like, I just me, if I wasn't threatening to <laughs> people, me too, I would cry. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't threatening to bun you and throw me too, I would cry. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm the opposite, and it just came. It go, came comes to a point where it's like, you know, you've just got to protect yourself and like yeah, your mental health and stuff like that first before because you know regardless of what you do where you are you're going to have backlash from people because whether it's like true or whether they're like <coughs> trolls or stuff like it's going to come at you like you know it's not going to be like an easy ride it's sad that it's it such is, an inevitable yeah. it's sad that i'm even having to sit here and ask you well what about yeah. your experience as a south asian woman exactly. in, this, in the sports journalism industry like what okay what about it yeah you know if it was a, if it was like a white man i wouldn't be sitting here asking him so what about yeah how is it being a white man or yeah. even a white woman i don't think it would be exactly it wouldn't definitely wouldn't be the same thing yeah. like it's it's grim that that's even a point of contention in itself yeah. you know um, and it's it's sad that it's such an inev- inevitability. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think, like, as well, with... It's so difficult because being, like, a brown woman in sports media... Because, obviously, like, all that in any industry, really, because you can't really align yourself... Because you've got the whole sort of idea of, like, white feminism as well and, like, that sort of stuff. And it's, it's so difficult because you can't really... Where that, do you that, stand? That ain't you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that ain't you. You don't really even have to like, block, to be honest, but for your own like peace of mind, just I'm not going into my message request. Do you know what I mean? Like, That's what I mean. See, I stay I logged out of Mango yeah, Masala. I, I actually stay logged it. out. I'm not going to go into him. Like sometimes Carlos will send a screenshot yeah. of like, oh, look at this person saying this, this and this. And I'm like, I can't even read I it. I know, I'm not going into them because mm. the thing is like, when my wisdom piece came out, the stuff that I got DM'd was like insane. Because, okay, so basically it was about when I had all that stuff happened at Cambridge right I've like suffered with mental health for like ages oh. and I was like okay well I literally was on the point of like I just want to end it all right it was just done okay. and I wrote that in the wisdom piece and yeah. I'd have people DMing me being like oh you should have just done it and it was just like how like the how people are callous you? man people you know that's I mean? the thing about racism yeah. like okay yeah there's an institutional level to it and it's terrible and it's systemic and everything but on a human level yeah. the toll that it takes on someone mentally spiritually emotionally like you yeah. can't you can never understate that exactly also why because she wants to write about cricket <laughs> for why she just wants to write about cricket and now you're telling her she needs to die <laughs> what did she do <laughs> what did she do <laughs> You know what I, mean? I just want to watch my cricket that's it leave me alone <laughs> yeah, not no. adding up man it's not adding up <laughs> why are you so offended it's mad oh, no, it's insane just don't go into your message request that's yeah. my advice don't do it don't mm-hmm. do it to yourself mm-hmm. and like put yourself in organisations and spaces where you know you're protected because I'm so sorry like you know like a white 
man will have that protection regardless of wherever he goes in like these places yeah, yeah. automatically because yep. of the way institutional power works in this like country and in the world so you know you if you've got and i'm so so lucky that obviously i have these like spaces like mm-hmm. that, that they you are can fall back on yeah they are there now they weren't there like probably like 10 years 10 5 5 10 years ago and like you know be very conscious of putting yourself where you're safe and where you're protected and don't feel guilty for it. Like, don't yeah, feel 100. like guilty for it. Eamon's advice. For <laughs> don't those go into you. your message requests. <laughs> don't look at your messages. Mm-mm-mm. And have a therapist on call. <laughs> Set aside a monthly budget for therapy, basically. It's funny, but it's not. <laughs> if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Anyways, guys, let's take a short break here. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back. We are Mango Masala Pi Radio South Asian Show and we are back with Eamon, except this time we're talking about something a little bit more solemn. Um, so for those of you who have not been following too closely um, on the news right now, there are a wave of mass protests going on in Iran, um, well starting in Iran, but they are kind of going on all over the world. Um, basically, the story is that there was a 22-year-old young woman named Mahsa Amini who was visiting Tehran when she was arrested by the morality police who took issue with the way that she veiled her hair. So for those of you who don't know, hijab is compulsory in Iran um, since they live under the Islamic Republic. So while she was under police custody, she died of natural causes... Um, which is the official line but we all know that means that she was essentially tortured and killed as a result of that there have been mass protests all across the country um particularly in the northern province um 450 people have been arrested just during the last 10 days of protest um as of so we're recording this on monday the 26th the official death toll right now is 41 people at least four children um and a lot of human rights organizations are saying that the true number is likely higher um a little bit of background as well so i mentioned that the hijab is compulsory under the islamic republic the islamic revolution happened in 1979 um which led to the creation of the islamic republic of iran with which the family protection act which provided further guarantee and rights to women in marriage was declared void so whatever rights women had had under marriage, they nullified it. Mosque-based revolutionary committees patrolled the streets, enforcing Islamic code of dress and behavior and dispatching impromptu justice to perceived enemies of the revolution. When I say morality police, right from the beginning of this, you, you know kind of what's going on. I think there's a lot to unpack here. Like, there is a lot to unpack. Um, obviously, first and foremost, like, our complete complete solidarity goes with Massa and the 41 people killed and the 450 people who have been you know injured or arrested or maimed or the women in Iran right now who um you know one way they're protesting is kind of like taking off their hijabs and burning them full solidarity goes to those people it's it feels a little bit crude yeah. to say the obvious like this is terrible so my parents are muslim and my mum wears like hijab niqab and full oh she wears niqab yeah, okay full burqa and stuff <clears throat> and has worn it since she like came mm-hmm. to the country with us mm-hmm. and my dad's like very he's they're both really religious but my dad's also got a beard he wears like a hat right shirakamis and stuff like that so they've always been like a target for like they're visibly muslim exactly right? yeah. and they've been a target for like islamophobic attacks and stuff yeah and so when it comes to like society and also like institutions governing 
um, the way women decide to dress, but not how men decide to mm-hmm. dress. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's such a personal thing because it's like I've watched my mum have her hijab like pulled tr- off, ripped off, and yeah. stuff like that. People calling her all sorts of names, like things like that, and it's just like it it's heartbreaking. That it's like, and because you know, you have those personal experiences, and then you're able to relate, even though it's like so many miles away in a different country. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing yep. that's happening. Women's police, women's bodies are being policed. Yeah. I think it it kind of I, it was hard for me to know what kind of where to really start on this because I said before it feels even crude to just be like, yeah. okay, this is really wrong and this is really bad. I think anyone with a ounce of morality can see that um and i also kind of didn't even want to state the obvious and say that this is like completely categorically un-islamic like Mm -hmm. this kind of violence um this kind of like you know violent imposing of islamic law onto other people is completely completely islamic completely (laughs) un-islamic my bad do not let tommy robinson get a hold of that clip do not let him it's completely un-islamic um to give people a little bit of context the hijab is what we call fard in islam so it's 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 compulsory right it's a it's a it's a necessary obligation on muslim women to wear hijab what a lot of people don't realize is that the reason why women are kind of obligated to wear hijab for modesty is also there's hijab for men as well right for men like there's certain dress codes they're not supposed to wear like shorts uh, above their um, knees they are not supposed to look at women more than once like they're allowed to have one glance towards women so um it's not the way that people perceive it to be kind of like you know sexist and patriarchal it's not if it's applied the same way to men as it's applied to women it's not um however so with islam i know i've spoken about this before there's kind of like a bit of a contention between the ideology of islam and the kind of normative organized religion islam and the the normativity of the organized religion that is what's patriarchal so i thought it went without saying but i will also just reiterate right now that what is going on cannot you cannot say that it's happening under a under god's divine commandment the prophet peace be upon him said that there is no compulsion in religion so even though right now i'm 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 a muslim i'm a practicing muslim but i don't wear hijab right not because i don't want to at some point in my life but right now i i don't want to i don't feel ready but whatever my reasons are it's my choice it's my decision if i die tomorrow god forbid i'll answer god for that it's not for somebody else for another man to come here and beat me and kill me and maim me because i'm not wearing it um so in that vein it's it's not in line with islam at all i was talking to my friend the other day and i was telling her that actually this issue is more about patriarchy than it is about islam you know and it is more it's more to do with as you were saying the um you know controlling of women's bodies um and and just taking away that consent for a woman for her to express herself as she feels it's the exact same thing that happens in places like france where the hijab is banned you know the same thing where where french government and french laws are telling muslim women that they're not allowed to wear the hijab is the exact same thing as the iranian government telling women they have to wear hijab in both cases it is an imposition of male control and authority over a woman's body um in line with whatever their kind of espoused politics and and ideological beliefs are point is it's normative it's not theological it's not islamic but then obviously this is still happening we know ideologically it's terribly we can see the logical fallacy of it all but it is still happening 
um and that's kind of where i get stuck personally because yeah. i just get stuck beyond saying like it's terrible yeah you know like it's and like i'm so in awe of the iranian woman you know like yeah. going out and and fighting and 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 kind of you know the, the whole what's at risk <clears throat> their lives yeah, like how exactly. many 41 people right now are, are, have have died because of it because they're out and they're protesting that is how and, and also like we're, we're talking specifically about hijab but if anyone knows anything about the islamic republic um it is a very very <laughs> authoritarian that's it <laughs> regime that's it very oppressive so is this is just kind of one part of one part of a bigger picture here where um these kind of organizations and, and this group of people are using islam as an excuse to basically just be patriarchal and murderous it's kind of hard i think for the wider world to yeah. know how to, how to hold those men to account but not feed into like yeah. islamophobic rhetoric and tropes yeah. in the meanwhile because Defo. i'm sure like as a brown woman with like a muslim background you've you've been privy to this contention this whole time about the western world needing to save the muslim woman we've we've spoken about it before in this show um about how the world feels like they always need to save muslim women um and it's kind of like the number one i would say the number one the cornerstone foundational text of any like post-colonial studies is like spivak yeah and she she makes a really pertinent point in that when yeah. she talks basically about you know th- this whole idea of the white man needing to save the brown yeah. man and we see iterations of that all over the world and i think it's and it's coming up again because it's really really hard how do we empower iranian women without you know necessarily demonizing islam yeah. or or yeah. without victimizing the women themselves yeah. or without making them seem as though they need rescuing from us as though yeah. we're their saviors in the west you know in the liberated west exactly. we're coming in and we're saving them because these lot they're doing it for themselves you know we ain't done f all for them mm-hmm. they're doing it themselves 100%. these these women are taking to the streets for themselves they're they're protesting for themselves they're resisting for themselves day in day out it's 10 days now and 40, 41 of them have died, probably more. And and they're doing it for themselves. It's not us that's doing it. So I think it's a very interesting contention. Yeah, and it's inherently sexist. Like, there's no, um like, morality police checking men to, to the same criteria, yeah, holding them to the same standards that they're holding 100. women to. Like, all of, like it's inherently sexist, and it is an, another way <laughs> for men to gain control over women's bodies and um stuff like that and it's quite sad because it's like it almost feels like the world's going backwards you know you've got we had like the uh, roan wade um yeah thing. i was you've just got, thinking about like, that it's it's terrible it's like you know, <clears throat> what sort of control do women have over their own bodies and over like yeah. the choices that they can make yeah and they might seem like unrelated yeah, they're not no, it's, they're the, it's, the, it's same the same thing yeah exactly the, the, the kind of ideology behind it which is that that violent imposing of women's bodies it's the exact same yeah. ideology you know in the overturning of roe versus wade in america yeah. as it is of compulsory hijab in iran yeah exactly. you know and in france like <laughs> banning, yeah, banning the banning hijab it. in in france as well and it's this idea that women cannot choose for themselves yeah and and if they try to defy that and make their choice violence is necessitated exactly. against them <clears throat> it also like the fact that a woman can be killed because of it it just shows how society um places 
importance on men and women's lives yeah because if a woman can be killed for showing a bit of hair Mm. and (coughs) like a man can go out and like you know have his knees exposed and also hijab is compulsory for men as well men need to cover their their hair as well but what's the difference that you see in men covering their hair and women covering their hair Mm -hmm. it's the way in which that like interpreted in a patriarchal um, society it yeah. becomes inherently <coughs> sexist so the problem isn't with islam it's the way in which society people are perceiving yeah, and, and exactly. practicing and taught to practice it even we know that all kind of like governments and any authority organization in the world over in history over is inherently patriarchal mm. um and essentially what they do is like bastardize islamic thought yeah. and islamic dogma um, so that what you end up with is is a, is a massively perverted patriarchal version of what Islam actually is, and that's why I keep reiterating over and over again, like it's it's not to do with Islam, it's patriarchy, it's yeah. the fact that these men just want to be able to control these women for whatever reason. I don't know what like it's does sadistic. your dad have a share yeah. in a hijab company? Like, do you have stocks in the textile industry? Why do you care about women wearing the hijab or not? Yeah. I can't understand it. I don't get it. But it's not It's not even just, like, hijab. It is, like, the way oh, women else. dress yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, like women... They, um, I, I'm not going to quote specific laws, but I know that there's a lot of laws that basically discriminate and oppress women yeah. in, in, in somewhere like um, Iran. And <clears throat> I'm not gonna lie, I can't remember from the top of my head, but I feel like something to do the Islamic Revolution brings involved somewhere yeah, somehow. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. Well, 100%, 100%. I, I read it somewhere. I read it somewhere a time back. There's this really, really great comic book yeah. called Persopolis. Have you heard of it? It's I loved it. It's, it's, it's it really by? good. Um, I can't remember her name. You know, what? I'm gonna tell you now. Persepolis. Oh, Persepolis. <clears throat> by Marjani Satrapi. She's Iranian. She's an Iranian woman, and and it's essentially it's a really, really, really great book. Basically, she speaks about how so she she's like a left wing, like she's a Marxist, yeah. a family of Marxist, and she speaks. She's Iranian. She was born and raised in Iran, and she was like a very young girl when the Islamic Revolution happened. And she basically she basically talks about how her life changed from before the Islamic Revolution yeah. to afterwards, and it, exposing all of these kind of like logical fallacies as the citizens in Iran are seeing mm-hmm. them, and it's in comic book form as well. Like it's a oh, comic wow. book. It's so 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 good like i 1000 recommend it to anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about the um you know iranian islamic revolution and and kind of to understand a little bit about what life what that transition was like for iranian citizens 1000 it's a feature film as well actually i think like again in comic book form but i really recommend the book yeah i feel like britain's 1000 percent. i'll do the research and we'll write in the <laughs> caption or something britain is definitely involved in there somewhere i remember reading it in this book yeah. but yeah, I think honestly, like just our thoughts and solidarities go to yeah. go to the, the the Iranian women. Um, I think for those of us who are watching it from the comforts of our home in the West, yeah. like to you know to understand that to to be able to support the women out there to to empower them, but to not also speak for them and to not also feed into Islamophobic tropes yeah. and narratives. I think when you are when you are kind of voicing your support for them, yeah, yeah, and that concludes today's shows we will also include in the link um resources for those who want to help and donate yeah, and um, protests for people on the ground in iran right now um but that concludes today's show and before we stop here do you want to give your socials to people or do you not 
Yeah, so my Twitter is um, it's Umi Amen. Do not be sending her death threats. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Don't, do not be doing that. Leave her alone. (laughs) She just wants to write about her cricket. Don't be sending her death threats. But, um, yeah, thank you very, very, very much for coming on. Thank you. Love the chat. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.